Good morning and welcome to New Hope. As we prepare our hearts for our tithes and offerings, this is a part of service that uh, we continue with our finances. But as we, you know, we often wonder what happens to all of the finances when it comes in. And one of the greatest things that happens is we get to reach out into our community and beyond. We have live streaming over the um, network. And we get calls in for prayers and support and help from other places such as Kauai, Maui, Mainland. And it's all because of the hearts that we have to step up and serve and, and express our love to our God through our finances, through our tithing. And I just thank you for being calling New Hope your home church and that you're willing to step up and, and serve Him in such a way. Now, if you're not part of this church and you're just visiting, please take your tithes and offerings to your home church. Or if you're just visiting for the first time, please receive the service as a gift from us. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this time, Lord. You are the most high God, and we just want to honor you with all our hearts and resources that you give us. I thank you for this opportunity and that you came and saved us one relationship at a time as we reach out to others to do the same. Lord, I love you. Amen. Go ahead, ushers. I am so thankful for all of you who serve, all of you who serve with that kind of heart that wants to put Jesus first. And I'm so thankful that we have a church that we can gather together for the cause of Christ. Today, we're going to be continuing in our series, What's So Important About Serving God? And I thought about that word serving because in the world, success means how many people serve you and how much you can gain. But success in the kingdom is how much I can serve and how many people I can serve and how much I give. Today, Pastor Marsha is gonna share with us just about that heart of a servant. Let's welcome up Pastor Marsha as she shares today. Well, good morning. You know, Pastor Sheldon is right. We are talking about continuing to serve and I have a confession. I don't serve my family well. I, um, I will throw people under the bus. So this weekend, uh, my two younger granddaughters got to spend the night. And on Saturday, when it was time to leave, they didn't want to leave. And so the youngest one is walking out, oh, I don't want to go. I don't want my mommy. I want you. And I'm looking at her. My heart's just breaking. Grandparents, you get that, right? So my heart's breaking. I'm looking at her, and she's just oh, crying. And I'm, but baby, grandma has to work. I have to do some things to get ready for tomorrow because I had to tighten up and finish this message. And she's just crying. And finally, I looked at her, and I said, Baby, you know what you do? When you go to church next week and you see Pastor Sheldon, you tell him, because he wasn't here, Grandma had to work and you couldn't stay. <laughs> so I failed, miserably at serving. But I'm so thankful that I get to learn and grow together. Um, so we are continuing on in the series, What's So Important About Serving God? And <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, um, I actually got sick. I mean, like, sick. You know, the kind, don't get out of bed, leave me alone, just go away kind of sick. And I think I was like literally in bed for three days. I, I didn't, you know, Tom would come home and you want chicken soup, just go away. Just, I'm sick, leave me alone. And by the third day, I started feeling like a human being again. So I thought, okay, I need to get up. I've been out for three days. Um, I'm going to check and see if there's any emails or texts that I missed that maybe I need to get back to. And a friend of mine texted me, and we're actually trying to start something here at the church. 
And it's, you know, we're going through meetings and all that to get it started. And so she texts and says, hey, we'd like to meet with you later on this week if it's possible. So I figured I need to answer her. So I texted and I started off with, I'm so sorry. I've been sick and I'm just now getting back. And then she responded, I know where I get killer fa. Now, do you guys know what fa is? It's this soup and it's noodle. It's like simen, but it's be um, better. And... <laughs> When I'm sick, I want pho. And so she says, I know where to get some killer pho. And I said, really? And then she texted back, chicken or beef? And I said, chicken. Well, 10 minutes later, she's at my house with this pho. Now I have this dilemma because I'm looking at her and I'm sick and I don't want her to come in. But you have to be nice. So I said to her, um, thank you. Do you want to come in? And she goes, no. And I'm like, oh, okay. And instead, I'm doing this little happy dance. And, and she left. Now... She drove all the way from Kalmana to the restaurant, up to my house to drop off the pho because I was sick. You have no idea how blessed I was that she did that. And the thing about her is that wasn't unusual. That's exactly who she is. That's exactly what she does. You can expect that of her. And today as we continue our series, What's so important about serving God? We're going to learn how we can have that kind of attitude, just like my friend, and we're going to develop the heart of a servant. So if you're on your apps, you can open it up there, or if you're using um, your Bibles, open up there. I'm actually going to read from um, John chapter 13, starting in verse um, 1. And what's happening is um, Jesus had walked with his disciples He's uh, mentored them. They've seen him do all kinds of things. Um, they've experienced his power. They've experienced miracles. They've seen him love people. They've watched him forgive sins and all that. And it's the last supper he's actually going to have for them. And Jesus knows what's coming up next, and they don't. So starting in chapter 13 of John, um, verse 1, it says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So the evening's in progress. Things are on a roll, and Jesus knows where it's going. Now, on this side of the crucifixion and Jesus' resurrection, it's so easy to read right past this and keep going. And to be honest, a lot of times when we preach out of this scripture, we kind of get right to Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And that's important. We need to learn that kind of servanthood. But I want to pause and I want to hang out right here for a moment. And I want to try to capture what's really going on. Because when I was doing this as a um, devotion a couple weeks ago, this really spoke to me. So let's look at it. It's the Last Supper. Jesus knows this. We call it the Last Supper, but that's not what the disciples were calling it. And he knew that Judas was in the process of betraying him. He knew that everything was in his power and under his control. 
Jesus knew that he had come from God, and he knew he was going back to God. And in between coming from God and going back to God is the crucifixion, his crucifixion. Jesus knew exactly what lay, what lay ahead of him in the next few hours. Judas was going to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. He would um, experience a sham trial that would actually um, fulfill, be part of fulfilling God's plan for you and for me in restoring our relationship with God. That the hours ahead would be excruciatingly torturous. Finally, Jesus would pay the penalty for our sins and he would accomplish our redemption by being crucified on the cross. Now, I'm not going to go into detail about the horror and torture that Jesus went through, but I'm going to read this quote, and it's from Marcus Tullius Cicero. And he says this about crucifixion. A most cruel and disgusting punishment. And then he went on to suggest, the very mention of the cross should be far removed not only from a Roman citizen's body, but from his mind, his eyes, and his ears. See, crucifixion was so horrible that Rome's own citizens recognized the brutality of it. And this is what blows me away about the whole thing. Jesus knew exactly what the next few hours would look like. And he does this. He gets up from the meal took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. See, knowing how horrible the next few hours are going to be, Jesus chose to serve his disciples, including Judas, by the way, by washing their feet. And just so we understand what that's like, like when Jesus walked on this earth, roads weren't like they are now. See, back in Jesus' day, everybody used the roads, people and animals alike. And while people understood that the roads were being shared, animals didn't. And animals did whatever animals needed to do where animals needed to do them. And then carts would come along, and whatever the animals had left behind would get ground into the ground or spread all over. And then when you were walking, you would get whatever that was on your feet or your sandals. And then when you would go into people's houses, because your feet were so dirty from all that stuff, what you would normally do is wash your feet. And if you went to the house of someone who had some money or had servants, the lowliest servant, the one with no status, was the one who was tasked with washing feet. And washing feet was so important because when you ate your meals together, you didn't sit at the table like we do. They actually reclined. And so your neighbor's feet, with all that stuff, was in your face. And so what they would do is the lowliest servant would come and they would wash the feet of the guests. And Jesus, the Son of God, the one who is knowingly going on to an excruciatingly painful death on the cross for us decides that he's going to serve his disciples in the humblest way possible. And Jesus washes their feet.
And that amazes me. Because the truth is, that is not anything like me at all. And I'm pretty sure it's unlike you too. See, my response to that night would have went something like, okay, guys, the night ahead is going to be really hard. And I got to get my head into the game. I got to get ready for it. So I'm going to be over here, and I'm just going to be getting ready because what's ahead is so important. But Jesus doesn't do that. Sounds like us, but it's not Jesus. See, I just did something like that. I don't know how I did it. The way the schedules worked out, I had the privilege of speaking last week. I get to speak today. And on my schedule were also some very important dates, things that needed to be done, and they had a due date. Now, I'm pretty talented at filling up my schedule as is, but I don't normally fill up my schedule with things that have due dates. And so when I looked at my schedule and I saw all these due dates, I panicked. And I had a little bit of a freak out. And I went into the office and I looked at Jadina and I said, okay, wait, you want the notes? Then you need to hold all my phone calls and you need to pass them on. Because I got all these things to do. And in that moment, I was not in the mood to serve anyone. And just saying it to you, I feel and sound very selfish. That's not what Jesus would do. He calls us to get over being self-centered, to get over ourselves, to stop wanting to take care of what I need, what's ahead of me, and serve others. He sets an example for the disciples, and then he challenges them to follow it. After washing his disciples' feet, he says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. The Apostle Paul would later write to the church in Philippi that we are to have the very same attitude that was in Christ Jesus. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So how do we do that? How do we develop that attitude? How do we move outside of ourselves in order to serve others? Well, the first thing I think we need to know is that our actions are not what makes us a servant. What makes us a servant is the attitudes of our heart. So if we address three areas, then each one of us will be able to develop the heart of a servant. So if you've got your notes, you can take them out. And the first area is we need to address our identity. Sometimes it's our identity. It's how we see ourselves or how we want others to see us that hinders us from developing the heart of a servant. Now, without announcing it, there are actions or tasks, usually the dirtier ones, that we feel or believe that we're too busy for, we're too important to do, or it's someone else's job. This unspoken attitude or belief that I'm too good, too busy, or important to do that just shows up. We never say it. We'll never say, I can't do that, I'm too busy, I'm too important. But we live it. For example, we're at the store and we're shopping. We're looking for a shirt on the rack. Somebody before us has dropped shirts and hangers on the ground, but we don't pick it up because it's the salesperson's job to do that. Or if I go to a fast food restaurant 
and I walk in, and most of the tables have people at them. And this one table may have people's um, garbage left behind that they, for some reason, didn't take out because it's probably someone else's job. We walk in, and we look at that, and we'll either take our food to go or we look for a different table to sit at because that's the employee's job to do. Or when we're walking into a store and we're passing through the parking lot and we see something on the ground, we keep going because the guy who picks up the carts will do that. See, I'll never say that I'm too busy. I'll never say I'm too important. I just don't do it. And I leave it for someone else whose job it is to take care of it. But Jesus did it differently. He didn't act as if he weren't too important, too busy, or too good. He was here on earth, fully God and fully man. He had created this world and everything in it, and then he came to live in the world that he created with the people that he created. The Apostle Paul says about Jesus, for in him, and he's talking about Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now imagine Jesus, king of all kings, our creator, our savior, kneeling at the feet of one of his disciples with a basin. And he's got his foot and he's washing all that stuff off of his foot. And then he takes a towel and he dries it. And then Jesus, the son of God, moves on to the next disciple. The creator of our universe. The one who created you and I taking on the role of the lowliest servant to wash his disciples' feet. And remember, Jesus knew all things. He knew who he is. He knew why he's here. He knows what he's accomplishing. He knew that what was going to happen in the next couple of hours was very crucial for all of mankind and for our relationship with God. Jesus knew how important his role was and he knew the glory that belonged to him. That night, he would pray for the disciples, and in his prayer, he would say these words, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. See, knowing the importance of his role and the glory that was his did not keep Jesus from taking on the role of a servant. Now, he knew. He knew that he was a rabbi or teacher to his disciples and to the many people that followed him. He also knew that he is the son of God and that he is going to be our savior. And yet he served. Washing the disciples' feet did not lessen or diminish the lordship of Jesus. He was just as holy after he washed their feet as he was before. And he was just as fully God as when he dried their feet as he was before. 
taken on the lowly servant's role did not lessen who Jesus was or make him any less important, and so he served. But that's not how we do things. See, we hold on to our importance. We even fight for it. Did you know that during this dinner that the disciples actually fought among themselves about who was the most important? Luke wrote this about the evening. He wrote, a dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was considered to be the greatest. So they're eating dinner with Jesus, who they know is the rabbi. Now, we know from reading the Bible and from different conversations that they had with Jesus that they fully expected Jesus to set up a kingdom, so they expect that he's a king. They've experienced his miracles. They've seen him raise people from the dead. They've watched him do things, so they know his power. And they get caught up in an argument about who's more important. And not just any argument about important, but their importance. And they were so caught up in that argument that they didn't even recognize the need to wash their feet. Their longing to be recognized as important by each other blinded them to the need right in front of them. And so they didn't serve. And if we're honest, if they had recognized it, they probably would not stoop low enough to wash the feet of someone who just thought they were more important than they were. Now, how many times have we found ourselves in that position? How many times has our own opinion, our own desire to be right, or that feeling of importance blind us to the need right in front of us? Now, I know it's kind of weird to go around washing each other's feet, so that won't happen. But how many times have you found yourself in a power struggle at work with your boss or maybe another employee or maybe at home with your spouse, with your parents, kids, or maybe even a neighbor or maybe even in the store when you're standing in that long line and somebody comes along and they don't realize you're there and they cut in front, you're thinking, hey, no, you're not getting in front of me because I'm important. My time's important. This one I'm guilty of. I used to pick up my grandkids at Waikia High, and I don't know how they made that road, but as you go down, there's two lanes. And one ends, and the other one keeps going to the school, and every time I'm in this lane going the, the right lane, and people come in this lane, I'm thinking, nah, you should have gotten in the lane back there like the rest of us. You ain't getting in front of me. <laughs> See, we all do that. It's a power struggle. But power struggles occur because we're more concerned about being right than we are with what's right. We're more concerned about our identity being seen as strong, as respected, as intelligent. And we want to seem powerful and that desire far outweighs the other person's feelings, their thoughts, or their values. And so we get stuck. And then we name call. We devalue, ignore, or treat us less than people who disagree with us rather than pause to hear why they might have a different opinion. We feel and sometimes say, my way is the only right way. I don't even want to hear what you got to say. But Jesus didn't call us to be right. He called us to be his. He called us to be just and merciful 
He called us to be compassionate, to be his light. He called us to be a servant just like he was. But when our identity is in our own importance, then just like Jesus' disciples, we're blind to what's going on around us. But Jesus didn't come to be right. He came to be righteous. And he didn't come to be great. He came to serve. And then he says to us to follow his example. When Jesus' when Jesus's disciples were having that fight over who's the most important, he corrected them. And he says this, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. See, Jesus teaches us, put our identity aside and serve. But he also teaches us something else. And in number two, you can write this in. He teaches us responsibility. We have to deal with responsibility. Now, every now and then, my husband will get this bright idea. And he'll say to me, I think I'll teach you how to change the oil. I mean, to check the oil. Once in a while, he'll think that I should change the oil. And every time he says that, you know what I say? Why would I do that? That's what you're for. Now, I have this closed-mindedness to anything having to do with the oil in our car. I'll learn other things. I'll do other things. But when it comes to the oil in the car, it's like, no way, not happening. I refuse to take responsibility. And as a result, I can't change the oil in the car, nor can I check it. But I do something else. See, by refusing to know anything about the oil, I push the responsibility off onto Tom. I knowingly pass responsibility off to Tom when it comes to the oil in our car. But here's something. Every single day, every single one of us, whether it's on purpose or accidentally, push responsibilities off onto other people. Every day, each of us encounter things that we can respond to or we can just let pass right on by. We can fill a need, or we can leave it for someone else. Now, to be honest, sometimes we don't see the need, and we let it pass by because we're actually too busy, we're too tired, or we're too forward-focused that we don't even notice something needs to be done. We're just unaware. But when we're unaware, we miss the opportunity. There's a story told about Paul. It's in the book of Acts. Now, he's on a ship, and they're hitting a storm, and the ship's going to wreck. I mean, there's no doubt the ship's just going to wreck. And so, through some different things, because what they want to do is kill all the prisoners aboard, but the captain saves them. So they decide that everybody just needs to swim to shore. So when they get to the island, they're wet, they're cold, they're tired, probably frightened because they almost died. And they get to the shore, and the people on the island welcome them, and they build a fire for them. And then I notice this. The fire is built, 
all the people who were on the ship, they're sitting around the fire. They've been through this most horrible experience, but Paul notices a need. And in the book of Acts, after the shipwreck, Paul goes out and gathers wood for the fire. Nobody else on the ship reacted like that. They didn't notice it. Now, we don't have to do big things to serve God or people. We simply need to be aware enough to recognize the need, take responsibility for it, no matter how small or inconsequential it may seem, and step out and do it. In a letter to the Galatians, Paul wrote, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See, every single day, opportunities will present themselves. In fact, great opportunities often present themselves as very small, inconsequential ones. Now, I want to tell you, we have some awesome, awesome servants here at this church. We have servants that have been serving 20, 30 years in our children's ministry, ushers, they've been serving. Well, one day, this man's driving in, and he notices the parking lot lines need to be repainted because you can't really see when you're parking. Where's the line? And he noticed that had gone on for a couple of weeks. But here's what he didn't do. He didn't call the church and say, hey, who's in charge of painting the lines? They need to be painted. He called the church, and he asked to speak who's in charge of the lines or the parking lot. And then he says, I notice your lines need painting. I want to come up and paint them. And so that's what he did. He came up, and he painted the lines. All the lines. And while he was up here, he kind of noticed some other things. He noticed that our curbs needed painting. So he says, I'm going to paint the curb. So he painted that. And then because he was close to the curbs, he noticed some of the uh, buildings and poles needed painting. So he painted that. And then when that was it, he goes, you know, your garden needs help, and your parking lot needs to be cleaned. So he did that. And by the time he was done with all that, the lines needed repainting. So he did that. And he's always kept his eye on what needs to be done. And he didn't worry about role or title or importance. He just saw what needed to be done. And because his eyes were on that, he's been serving faithfully year after year. Now, not only is the church served by the faithfulness of this man and all our volunteers, but everyone who serves, no matter what it is that they're doing, has an opportunity to grow through their serving. Rick Warren says it this way, when God puts someone in need in front of you, he's giving you the opportunity to grow in servanthood. See, every need in front of us requires a response of some sort. We'll either ignore it or we'll respond. And when we respond, it's an opportunity for us to grow. And serving simply does not benefit just the person being served. It also benefits every one of us who serves. Paul reminded the church in Corinth, So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Every time... We accept responsibility for what we see around us. It will never go to waste. English theologian and evangelist John Wesley 
once said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. See, it's not our actions that define us as a servant. It's our heart. And as we develop the heart of a servant, there's one more important area that we need to grow in. And if you're taking notes, you can write this in. It's in our relationship with God. As we grow in our relationship with God, we'll develop the heart of a servant. About a week ago, I was helping someone with something. And I was watching her as she did these things that she needed to do. And as I watched her, I'm like, man, this is just like watching her mom. The way that she did things, the way that she planned them, the expectations that she had, the way that she responded to people, the care that she put into doing it, it was like watching her mom. And so she walked by me at one point, and I said, you know, I'm watching you, and it's just like watching your mom in action. And she just smiled at me, and she goes, well, she's my best friend. See, there's something about the time that they spent together where the daughter just naturally picked up and took on the attitudes, the ways of saying things and doing things, the actions and the expectations of her mother. See, proximity breeds likeness. And that's what happened with this daughter. She was so close to her mom that watching her was like watching her mom. And whether we plan it or not, we will become like those we spend the most time with. Paul said to Timothy, and I know in our notes it says 419, someone corrected me, it's actually Philippians 4.9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me. So whatever you've learned, received, heard from me or seen in me. Put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Paul had spent so much time with Timothy that he was confidently able to say to Timothy, anything that you've seen me do, anything that you've heard me say, anything that you've experienced, put that into practice. He had spent so much time with Timothy that he was confident that Timothy would represent him well. And the same is true of us in our relationship with Jesus. We need to spend enough time with him that we're able to put into practice everything that we learn, that we hear, that we receive, and that we see. That's exactly why Jesus called 12 men to follow him. It was as they spent time with him, as they watched how he responded to people, how he valued them, how he treated them, that they would be equipped for the future. They would have spent so much time with Jesus that they would represent him well. And that's exactly what happened. After Jesus' resurrection, after he had gone to be with the Father, his disciples went out and spread the good news about Jesus. And the religious leaders were not happy. In fact, they were so unhappy that they had two of them arrested. The Bible says that John and Peter were arrested and thrown into prison. And there was this discussion about them. Because... They carried themselves with such confidence. They had witnessed Jesus' arrest. They had witnessed his beating. They had witnessed his crucifixion. They had witnessed his return to heaven. But they'd also witnessed his compassion and his grace and his power and his healings and his mercy. And here's what was noticed about them. 
in Acts, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's not in your notes. If you want to see it, it's in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. And that should be the same thing said about us. As we spend time with Jesus through attending services and rubbing shoulders with other believers, as we read and as we study the Bible, as we do our devotions, as we pray, we need to learn how to respond to others the way Jesus would. We need to learn to value them the same way that he does. We need to learn to treat others with the same love and respect that Jesus treats others. And when we do that, others will take a look at us and they'll go, there's something different about that person. And it's going to be because we're like Jesus. And in spending time in Bible reading and study, we're equipped for everything that comes our way. Paul told Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, it's only as we spend time with Jesus reading his word, studying it, that we, we will be able to catch his heart for people the way he loves them and the way he values them. Peter exhorted the Christians that he wrote um, a letter to. He said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forevermore. Amen. And that's what I want to do today. As I'm standing up here, I want to exhort you. If you're not already reading your Bible and doing devotions, then start there. We have bookmarks on the way out. You can pick one up on the way out the door at the information center or at the resource center. Pick one up and start doing your devotions. And if you say, I don't know how to do devotions, find a pastor, find a staff member, find any volunteer, or find somebody who looks like they know what they're doing and say, hey, get me started. I don't know what to do. Get involved in the rooted and growing groups. Get involved in serving. Spend time in prayer, not just laying out to God what our needs are, but taking the time to listen to what he's saying and how he's directing us. And as we do those things, as we grow in our relationship with God, then we're going to develop the heart of a servant. And that's what I want for us, that we would all have a heart like Jesus's. You can close your notes, um, close your Bibles and put away your notes. I'm going to end with this story. David Platt, who's a pastor and an author, wrote a book. It's called Something Needs to Change. And in it, he's telling the story of a man named Aaron. Well, he had gone on a hike. And Aaron is a missionary in the Himalayas. And in the Himalayas, um, you can't actually bring the gospel in. They're not open to it. They're so entrenched in their culture and their beliefs that they believe if you bring in a new God, that their, their gods will get angry. So anytime someone becomes a Christian, they kick them out of the village. And if you come in as a Christian, they threaten you with your life. Well, a man named Aaron was hiking through there, and he was actually after college. Um, they were hiking for fun, but he had an encounter, and it so changed his life that he told his friends, go on without me. And he has lived the rest of his life in that area, bringing the gospel. Well, he, in his travels, he met a little boy named Naban. And Naban had a difficult life. His mom died when he was very young. 
And because the mom had died and they lived in such, um, such a um, community that it was just, it was, it was poor and there was no help and all that, that his father became a very angry man. And he didn't know how to parent Nabon. And eventually the father remarried. And Nabon's stepmother and her children hated Nabon. And because Nabon's father was already an angry man, he took to beating Nabon. And sometimes he would take a switch and put it in a fire and he would just beat him. And he still has the burn marks on his back. Well, it got to the point where Nabon says, I, I can't take this anymore, and he runs away. But the father went out and looked for him. And at this time, Nabon was seven years old. And his father found him. But when he found him, he didn't welcome him back and, and hug him. He beat him. And then he brought him home. And because in this culture that they live in, something must be wrong with Nabon. There must be a demon or whatever that's affecting him. He was no longer allowed to live in his house. So they chained him outside in the barn. And they did that in the Himalayas. Anytime that a kid was born with a de deformity or anything like that, they felt that there was an um, attack by a demon and they didn't want to bring that bad luck into the house. So they would take these children, they'd chain them in the barn. And that's where David lived. And one day Aaron, this Christian man, goes hiking through the area. And he comes across Nabon's house and he knocks on the door and he asks for a place to stay. And David's dad says, I don't have a place, but you can stay in the barn. So Aaron goes into the barn, he unrolls his pack, and he hears a sound, and he says, well, I wonder what animal's in here with me. And he turns and looks, and he finds an eight-year-old boy chained. And that just broke him. And so he goes to David's father and stepmother, and he says, give me the boy. Let me have him. So he takes Nabon, and he brings him to his compound, and he gets Nabon put in with a family that will love him, that will allow him to go to school. And more than that, Nabon learned about Jesus. And he received Jesus as a savior. And years later, he becomes part of Aaron's ministry. And so Nabon's now going into the, these villages, and he's trying to share the gospel of Jesus. Well, one day he's going up into a village and coming down the narrow path is his father. And his father's carrying a child who's severely ill. And they have this conversation. And the father looks at Nabon and he asks him to go hike into the village and help take care of his stepmother. The woman who stood by and with hate in her heart allowed him to be chained to a barn. But because Nabon was a Christian and he wanted to share the gospel and he wanted to share the power of love and forgiveness, that's exactly what Nabon did. He went up and he took care of his stepmother, the same mother who hated him. And he did that because when you spend time with Jesus, you become just like him. And that's my prayer for all of us, that we spend time with Jesus and we become just like him. So that when people encounter us, whatever we're doing, wherever we are, they're touched by the grace, the power, and the love of Jesus. And that's only born if we have a servant's heart.
Would you bow your heads? Let us pray. Jesus, I am so grateful. And I'm going to be honest. The first thing I'm grateful for is that I live a good life. And I'm comfortable. But in that gratefulness, Lord, and in that comfort, would you speak to all of us about how we can serve, how we can be a part of what you're doing, how we can just let you shift our hearts so that we are like you, so that whenever we go out into the community, wherever we go, whatever we do, people have an encounter with the living God. And so, Lord God, I pray that this message would be sealed to our hearts, but more than that, because part of our hands and our feet, that we develop the heart of a servant and we become a people who is recognized as belonging to the King of Kings. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.